radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have Bob Gower here with me. Uh, second time on, on Agile FM. We spoke a very long time ago uh, on this long-running podcast. And uh, today's topic is really we're talking about great teams. We're talking a little bit about psychology um, behind um, these great teams. And uh, if you don't know, yeah, the association between great teams and bad apples and love bombing, then this is, episode is for you. We're going to explore this a little bit and see what this is all about. But first and foremost, uh, welcome to the podcast, Bob. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, Bob, you, you speak, you keynote at conferences uh, on different continents. You um, you wrote books, you wrote two books, um, and uh, one of those books is called Agile Business, and the other one is Radical Alignment. And um, But today we want to talk a little bit about great teams. I already said love bombing. Possibly some listeners right now are intrigued. What does love bombing have to do with, uh, with great teams? Yes. Let's go there. Let's talk a little bit about the principles of positive teaming. We'll talk about love bombing, what makes great teams great, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I'm glad you went right there um, to the love bombing. And this, it's been very interesting for me. So I, I teach a class on, you know, it's, it's for, usually for new managers. I get scrum masters in the class. I get product owners. I get people who have been just recently promoted to management positions. And then sometimes I get older people who have been in those positions for a long time who just want to kind of like update their tool set to be a little more collaborative. And so I've been, I, I'm, I'm an agilist, you know, like, or at least that's my roots. Um, and so I go back to, you know, like, let's have good team charters. Let's have good team measurements. There's a, you know, a lot of very, very nuts and bolts kinds of things, but I've also, I'm also a student of psychology, student of philosophy, a student of sociology. And I, and I began to find that these things began to come together. And I realized that, you know, personality really matters on teams and that sometimes we are, we find ourselves working with people that are just not ready to work in a collaborative way and not enough gets said about that, I think. So I developed a, a module for the class, which I just actually just shared with, with some people, you know, at, at one of your meetups recently that, um, because, and, and it, I didn't know it was going to be so popular. I thought it was just going to be this topic. It was just going to be in the past in the passing. And then people were like, wait a minute, no one's talking about this. And I really, you know, and I really appreciate it. I guess that's enough preamble. Maybe I should just talk about it a little bit. If that. Well, what I, what I do think is, and what's intriguing about the topic is that when you start talking about the individuals and how this is all going to work together as a, as a team, yeah, are the challenges. I remember um, the Stacy chart, for example, right, or the complexities uh, of systems, and there's always requirements and technology as part of it, and yeah. people. And I always say, even just people makes it complex, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's like there are two two other parts to this. But if you have a team of twelve people or eight people, you have a group of people, there is a possibility of already having a high complex situation here. So. Yeah, so it is important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of my a book that I read a couple of years ago that really moved me a lot was by a neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio, and the book is called Descartes' Error. And in it, there's this, this quote. I, I put it up. I throw it up on slides when I speak sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And he says that we are not um, thinking machines that feel. We are feeling machines that think. Right. That feeling 
as the way the human brain works, feelings take precedence over thinking almost always, right? And that we have to be really, it's something we have to be careful of. And of course, there's the rationalist movement, you know, like people who, we like to think we're logical, but I find often the people who think they're the most logical are the most illogical. And the people who embrace their emotional nature and say, hey, maybe I'm having a bias here. Maybe something is kicking in and I should check for it. I should watch for it. People who are kind of humble in that way are often the most rational, the, the, the easiest people to kind of like work with. Whereas sometimes people will be like, no, no, I'm being purely rational. I'm very angry about this. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're very angry about this, but you're purely rational. That doesn't make it, you know, those two things don't go together because uh, anger is an emotion. The way I image it, so when I think about teams, when I think about organizations, I, I use the uh, a iceberg as a metaphor often. And I say, look, above the waterline are the operations. And I use operations as kind of a catch-all term to mean it's the tools we use, the information we have, the strategic frameworks that and, and, and we use, the, 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 the roles and accountabilities, the team membership, all of the things that we can kind of see and act on relatively easily, which we can think of as sort of the rational parts. Mm -hmm. the, the, the frame, you know, whether we use Scrum or whether we use XP or whether we use Kanban, right? Like even like the frameworks that we're using, right? All of that I would consider above the waterline. Below the waterline is the culture. And the, re and the way I think about culture is really the emotional landscape of the team. It's whether we have certain things that are hard to measure and hard to act on. That's why they're below the waterline, mm -hmm. why they're present, right? Or whether or not they're present. Things like psychological safety, things like cognitive diversity, things like trust. And we and we and so what's interesting about those this this sort of dichotomy is that the bigger mass is below the waterline, right? Like that's why I use the the uh, the iceberg as a metaphor, and it often moves the upper mass. So I would much rather work with a team that didn't have very good tools, that didn't have very good, uh, didn't have very clear instruction, that didn't have a, a, a good, you know, necessarily clear membership or roles and accountabilities, didn't know what process it was using, but yet. Mm -hmm. trusted each other, was willing to share and have conflict with each other, felt safe to bring forward all of their crazy ideas, and that, but also could disagree and commit and move forward. Like all of those things that are sort of ineffable and hard to understand. I'd much rather have a team that had those things and had poor, poor above the waterline and rich below the waterline, right? Um, but, the, but the problem is below the waterline is very hard to act on. It becomes much more art-like and much less um, science-like. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I think of team development, like I want to be a scientist, but I'm also an artist half the time, right? I'm also like often like just trying to figure out who trusts who, <laughs> you know, like who, who thinks of me as dad or something, you know, like all these kind of like weird questions start coming to mind. I don't know okay. if that's it. Anyway. Well, it's, it's, it's obvious that the complexities are on the water, right? Titanic yeah. uh, found out that the, the, the bigger piece of the iceberg is underneath yeah. the waterline, right? Um, that's a great metaphor. Thanks you. Thanks for that. Um, and I, th I think everybody has this picture right now in, in front of them, but let's go a little bit into your tools. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the principles of positive teaming. I like that term. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, do you want to, do you want to give like, um, a little, an example of what these principles are? Maybe we take a deeper dive into one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I want to give you maybe a little of the history of them. And this is a little bit new for me. Maybe by the time this podcast is out and, you know, obviously people might listen to this years later. So it'll have been out for a while. I'm working on a white paper about this. This may be the seed of my next book. I haven't really decided yet. Writing a book is very mm -hmm. difficult and I don't know if I want to do it again. 
Um, but, uh, but because I've been teaching this course for a few years and the, and the, the seed of the course was, um, again, what do new managers need to know as they come in to a team leadership position? And I'm talking to a kind of a specific type of person, a right. person who wants to lead more collaboratively, more humanistically, who kind of believes that teams can be self more self-managing, less command and control, less ego-driven, less narcissistic. Like those are the kinds of people that I tend to tend to, I think those are the better leaders. And I also think those are the leaders that I want to support. And so I, you know, I have a 25, 30 year career. I've, I've been at this for a long time and I've played a lot of different roles in a lot of different environments. And so this work is really the, these principles are really my attempt to distill everything that I've learned from some amazingly smart people and some amazingly painful circumstances myself at times, all the stuff I've learned into I call them descriptive, but not normative, meaning I think you can you need to consider this area, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what you need to do in this area. I'm not going to tell you the like, you know what I mean? So like the first one is, you know, teams are made up of people, right? Like, right. which seems and you kind of mentioned this before, right? Like people are complex, people are, you know, and, and people don't aren't logical, right? And so we have to embrace that. I'm not gonna tell you how to embrace that. There's lots of different ways we can deal with this lack with this these sort of like emotional nature of humans, but we have to consider if we don't consider it, we're not, we're not going to get there. One of my favorite principles and the one that I was surprised we, you know, that you've sort of hinted at already is that you can't, is my principle is you can't team with everyone. Right. Mm. And this was a painful, painful lesson that I had, that I learned many, many times, or I didn't, I didn't learn many times. So I kept repeating and then finally did learn, and that is that I have to have better boundaries in terms of who I decided to be on a team with. If I would, if I had the authority and the power and the ability and the choice, like often, sometimes we don't have that economically or just whatever, you know, circumstantially, we don't have that. But to the extent that I have the power, I need to be really careful about the people that I work with, because there are people out there who are, um, you know, there's this thing called the dark triad. Mm -hmm. uh, that psychologists will talk about. And so it's, it it's very ominous. And I guess it is, it, it can be kind of ominous, but these are sort of like personality traits that um, let's call it bad people exist, right? The first would be narcissism, that people are grandiose, they're superior, they have a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. The second is Machiavellian, which is more cynical, willing to deceive and get what they want. And the last is, psycho is psychopathy, which is more about they, they're cold, they don't have empathy, and they might take big risks, they might try to take big swings. These often co-present, they often come together, and often they're sort of set, but they're all sort of separate. But the idea here is that we often find ourselves working with people like this without knowing it, right? Mm -hmm. And that this is the lesson that I've had to learn many times, because they can look really nice on the surface, or they can be really charming, they can be really attractive. Often people who are the more manipulative they are, they've learned how to act in way, they've learned how to push our buttons, they're very good at reading us. They're very good at reading what we want. And they're very good at like poking at us and sort of like, um, yeah. you know, kind of telling us what we want. So, so I've had to learn how to avoid those people in my, in, on my teams and to get rid of them when they're on the team, because it's unfair to the, the nice people around them because they're, 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 their energy sucks right. on those teams. Right. And so I don't mean to be cruel, but that's my, yeah, that's what I'm trying. That would be like a hidden agenda. Somebody would be nice, but has a hidden agenda like in the, into this territory is, is uh, like, this would be the bad apple, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. So like in a case in point, like I was a director of marketing. Um, I, I've worn many hats in my career at one point. I'm not a good director of marketing, but I, I did wear this hat briefly <laughs> in this organization. But I kept struggling because I liked the, the technology guy who I was working with. 
And I, I thought we were friends, you know, like we, we would go out to have drinks, we would talk, but I became really aware that he had lied to me at different times and often about things that were inconsequential. And I don't know, you know, like it was just very weird. And I ended up having a talk with, with my coach about this. And he's like, this guy doesn't sound trustworthy. Like you may think he is because he's charming and he is, he was charming and he would tell me great things. You know, he would make, he would compliment me and tell me good things about myself. And then I just started realizing that, no, he was lying. And then I started to realize that like his motivations for doing the job were very different than mine. I wanted the organization to succeed. I had my own ego involvement, but I think he just wanted power. You know, like he didn't really care whether we hit our numbers or not. He just kind of wanted to, to be in charge of this organization for a while. He wasn't very committed to it. So I did sit him down at one point and I was like, I don't trust you. And it was the most difficult conversation, one of the most difficult conversations of my life. And the end result was we stopped being friends. We stopped working together, you know, like, and I count myself very lucky, right? Like that I got out of that organization and I didn't spend any more time in it, but yeah. Well, all right. Now, I myself, if I would assess myself, I um, have a very sarcastic kind of humor. You know, I don't know if that's already cynical if that is already something, you know, if you're <laughs> self-assessing yourself, is that something you will be working on? But is, is, what's, what's the line here? Like if somebody says, hey, I like sarcasm or I like uh, ironic like, uh, statements. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. Like, I, I mean, there's a difference between like style of humor. I can have a kind of dark sense of humor myself. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I, you know, like I, 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 and I've told off color jokes at times as well, but it's more the people who are, are cynical about the task at hand or the job at hand. So I usually give people a little bit of a checklist. There's lots of checklists out there. If you look up dark triad checklist, you can find it. Um, you can find it in there's, there's many, many points, but the ones that really mean something to me or that I've noticed as most indicative to me is one, somebody lying or exaggerating. Um, that can be a real sign and it, often about something inconsequential. Um, they're just lying. Um, like I went to this concert over the weekend and it was great. And you wait, you find out the concert was canceled. You're like, that was a weird thing to lie about. Like that's something to pay attention to. Yeah. The other is if they're very charming and they're telling you great and they're complimenting you a lot, especially with very little information. And we call this love bombing, right? That cults use this manipulative people use this all the time. They'll say, oh my God, you're the greatest person ever. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so, oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to work with you forever, right? If they're, mm -hmm. if they're kind of trying to like move the relationship along very, very quickly, whether it's a work relationship or a personal relationship, we call that love bombing. It's a really, really big warning sign. And then the other one, sort of the third one that I really pay a lot of attention to is I try to watch how people treat people treat other people who have nothing to offer them, lower status people. So if I'm out to dinner with them, I wanna watch how do they treat the waiter or waitress? Mm -hmm. I wanna watch how they treat the parking attendant. I wanna watch how they talk about people who report to them on their team. They're you know, not their colleagues, but people who are, you know, who are kind of lower status than them. Um, those kinds of things. So people, because people like this tend to manage up, they'll, you know, like if they think you have more power than them or at least equal, they can be very nice to you, but if you have less power than you, then, 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 they'll, then they'll start bullying you. And you have to be really like, so you have to like watch these folks carefully. So yeah. I find those three traits are the ones that I watch for or behaviors are the ones that I watch for quite a bit. Well, it's very interesting, right? Because uh, that would be like seeing some, for some people, again, alarming signal, right? Somebody might say like, this person is just working off. It's a loss of time to work with other people. Yeah. They have nothing to give or nothing 
nothing that adds to possibly status or power within an organization. It's true. And I think, you know, by, by just listening to what you say, like, I think everybody knows somebody, right? With one of them, not necessarily love bombing only, right? But any of those things you're talking about, I think we see uh, these, these, um, these warning signs yeah. um, giving and receiving feedback. Yeah. You mean you see them when they're giving and receiving feedback or? Well, yeah. Well, like, just like that is another uh, area yeah. of concern, right? But if somebody gets extremely, you know, negative feedback or something, how do they react, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. If someone gets really aggressive when they get negative feedback, that can be a real sign too. I mean, we all get wounded when we get negative feedback. Um, yeah. You know, at least I do, you know. Um, I'm part of a writing group right now, and what it's and it's it's great. One of the rules is that we can't say negative things about other people's writing. So, and it creates this wonderful space where I feel much more creative and much more free in this space because it's it's wonderful because negative feedback can have this impact. But in a work environment, look, we got to look at numbers sometimes. We sometimes have to say, hey, look, when you did that, it had this impact for me. When you failed to make that decision, the downstream impact of that was. I had to, you know, I had to push work and I, and I ended up late. I ended up overwhelmed. I had to work at nights and right. you have to kind of give that feedback to people sometimes. And it's really important. It's important not to give the feedback about the person, right? right. You know, like it's not to, not to say you're an inconsiderate person. It's more to be like, Hey, when you did that, I had this, right. We no, no ad hominem, no, you know, personal attacks. Right. Mm -hmm. But if we do give someone feedback about their work and they become extremely defensive or get really angry, um, that can also be a sign of this kind of these kinds of cluster of personality traits as well. So it's it's just it's something to consider. And again, none of these by themselves are definitive. These are patterns of behavior. Be very careful. We don't want to like ostracize people for you know for the wrong reasons. Um, and you know sometimes people are having bad days or people yeah. suffer from depression. You know, like I know in different points of my life when I've been overwhelmed or having or or suffering from depression, having a new baby at home and those kinds of things, like I don't show up at my best. Right. And so um, we do want to cut people slack, but at the same time, we want to be really careful that we're not, um, you know, when we cut people, when we cut too much slack, I, you know, we've talked about this, that when we cut too much slack, it can be really, really unfair to other people. Like, let's say I'm a team leader. So I frequently speak to people who can hire and fire people. Those are my kind of core audience right now. And so if you can hire and fire people, and you have a team member who you think is a bad guy or bad person, bad woman, mm -hmm. it's equal opportunity, right? <laughs> like they're bad, they're, they're not great. Yeah. And you keep that person around because you yourself are conflict avoidant. You don't want to go through the hiring process of, of finding somebody new or, you know, like, well, they're not that bad to me. I've seen them be bad to other people, but they're not that bad to me and I can put up with it. You are now being a bad leader because you're subjecting your people to abuse essentially you are you know just it's not, you're not maybe not be doing it yourself but you're condoning it you're tolerating it and i've seen some very very well-intentioned leaders create some very toxic um cultural mm -hmm. you know team team cultures because they have been unwilling to be they've been sort of conflict avoidant you don't always have to fire the person by the way right like sometimes you know like if the person's just if it's mild you know, we just need to like, make sure that we keep that, keep that opinion, keep that behavior out of work. Like, you know, don't, you know, like you can hold a terrible opinion in your head, just don't say it. Maybe that's, maybe that works. Um, but if, you know, or maybe that's unintentional, you know, we just need to point it out and they'll, and they'll try to correct. But if someone's a bully, oof, man, I just don't, I, I have no patience for bullies anymore. I just have zero, you know, from on my teams. There's just, you know, like, was it Reed Hastings who had talked about the, 
the no, I'm not going to swear, but the, the no, the, the no a yeah. something rule, right? You know, like, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this, what you're saying is, right, um, there are certainly some character traits, people that might be impossible, maybe very, very hard to change. But what you're describing is that is something that can be changed, right? So yeah. you, you can actually go into an organization and say, we can work on those things. We can improve a possibly toxic uh, environment and change that into something a little bit more positive. So do you yeah. think there is a, um, this is not something that is fixed with a, with the DNA of a person, right? Where you would say like, there is, there's no room for improvement. I think all of those principles are there is a room for improvement. Yeah. And people, but people also have to be, you know, willing and interested sure. in change. Right. You know, yeah. like, and, and so, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, a I, I'm going to recommend another podcast on your podcast, but there's a podcast I listen to this guy. It's called psychology in Seattle. I really enjoy him. He's a, he, and he's, um, a, an expert in something called borderline personality disorder, which is a, which is one of these really challenging things to deal with. I got interested because I've had people in my personal life who exhibit these traits and I've been, you know, at a loss of how to deal with them. So I wanted to do a deep dive. And one of the things he says is like, look, it is like, there's a lot of stigma around these things. Like if uh, someone gets labeled as this, if they get labeled as a, as borderline, then there can be a lot of stigma on that person. Mm -hmm. And that's really unfair because that person is suffering themselves often. But at the same time, in order to change that, that person needs to be an active participant in the therapy, right? So, so one of the things I try to ask myself is like, is the person, do they have self-awareness of their behavior and its impact on others? And if they have self-awareness, do they seem to have a willingness to, to take a look at that? And are they actively looking at that? You know, so um, I, you know, borderlines are very, it's kind of an edge case. It's sort of a special case, but like, I, I you know, I, I, I've worked with some, some leaders who are, who are very, very open, you know, um, one question I like to ask during the sales process actually um, is because people often hire me to fix their teams. It's like, it's the classic, like, Hey, my team is, is struggling. Can you come in and help my team? I'm like, okay, sure. I can, I can do this, but you're the leader, right? So what do you want me to do when I find out some of you are part of the problem? You yeah. know, like, how do you want me to address that to you? And that, and by asking that upfront, it does two things. One is it, is it lets them know that they probably are part of the problem, you know? And so, and it sort of sets that up, that expectation. It's almost like a hypnotic suggestion, you know, like yeah. I'm going to talk about this at some point. And two, it allows them to like reflect to me about how they like to receive feedback because as the person I'm, you know, they're paying me and often they're paying me a lot of money to do this work. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get fired myself, you know, like I want to do the, you know, and sometimes I have to, you know, I, I, sometimes I find myself like, oh, I can't work for this person. I actually have to like fire a client. I've done that, but mostly I have to like work. I want, I have to believe in the person and work with them. And as long as they're willing to, but, but I'm often testing for that. I'm often testing for like, is this somebody that I feel like I can work with and somebody that I, or somebody that I don't feel like I can. This is actually very general good yeah. natural coaching uh, practice as well, right? So everybody yeah. should be putting this out there as an as natural coach. What is it we're finding in our work and it could be going into this direction. I, I heard you uh, make, a, make a statement, not on this podcast, but uh, which is very interesting. I would, you, would love to have you elaborate a little bit on that. Is this bad manager, a bad manager is ex incredibly expensive. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a direct quote from a, a, a longtime client of mine and who, who's become a dear friend. And she was sort of, it just sort of popped up in a meeting we were, that I was facilitating a few months ago. And I, and it, and it was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, 
that, you know, and, and we were talking at the time about uh, burnout on her team. And we were also talking about um, the great resignation. So she had a technology team having a hard time hiring, losing key people, losing tribal knowledge, you know, like a lot of stuff was going on. And, you know, like, and I would, and I just, and I was like, yes, this is exactly what I've been trying to say in so many different ways that, that people don't tend to quit their company, right? I don't quit my CEO. I quit my, my manager, right? Like, and so many organizations that have, oh, I've been in this many times and probably your listeners have as well. I've been in many organizations that have toxic cultures in general, but they have pockets of like really great leaders who are doing really great work, who are, have really great teams or the inverse can be true. In general, it's a great culture. It's a, it's a happy company. They get high marks, you know, on their PECON mm-hmm. reports or whatever it is they're doing. And, um, but specifically you're like, oh, wait a minute, this, this person is a problem. Like I got one or two managers. And so I always try to like remind people that the, the way that the saying goes is not, oh, he's just a bad apple. You can ignore him. It's one bad apple can spoil the entire bunch and, or the entire bushel or whatever. Right. Right. And so the, and so a couple of things happen with bad managers. One is that bad managers tend to, um, create dysfunction around them on their team. People, they'll, they'll have more attrition. Um, as long as people have options, people will quit. Uh, and also their, the, wor- the, the work output just isn't that great, right? So if you have jerks in management positions. But the other thing they do, which I think is more insidious, is that they set the tone for what leadership looks like at the organization. So, And I've seen this with CEOs, especially, unfortunately, where you'll have a very, you know, how to put it, emotional or changeable or mercurial CEO, not to name any names, but somebody who's like tweeting things at people and calling them names and (laughs) trying to buy companies they can't afford. Anyway, I'm I'm not naming names, but like they're setting the tone about this is what leadership is like. So if I'm going to be a leader in this organization, I'm, this is who I'm going to emulate. This is who I'm going to become. This is who I, you know, and that that then creates, I think, a, a real can create a real downward spiral. You might do fine for a while. Like I'm not saying it's it's not terminal immediately, but if you want to create an organization that has a sort of an efficient operating budget that works, you know, that doesn't have a lot of overhead, um, that makes good use of its resources, uh, and 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 is able to focus on work and do good work, you know, bad managers, especially jerks, you know, like. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's, you may do okay for a while, but it's, but, but it's, it's just not going to do, not do well long-term. Right. You know? yeah. So this is obviously not about the salary of the manager. This is about the ripple effect that it's, comes from the behavior. Exactly. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Bob, there is uh, one topic I, I want to touch on before we talk a little about the tool you're providing, yeah. right? It's um, one thing I, I believe 99.999% on this, the listeners on this podcast would uh, have an immediate response to that um, about the transparency on salaries, gossip yeah. around salaries. Um, nobody talks about salaries. And there is this statement uh, um, that salaries are you know, like knowing about salaries, talking, gossiping about salaries is really for the not doing that, obviously, is in benefits of the organization, not the employees. Yeah, I think everybody can relate to that, right? And uh, so, but why, why did this make into your work? Like, why is that so important? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I go back to like, you know, Dan Pink's, you know, Mm -hmm. drive right that the goal of money is to remove money from the calculation right like if someone's working just for money 
that's not great, but you have to like pay them enough. So they're not job hunting and they're not, and they're not, right. and they're not looking around. And I also think as we, you know, when we talk about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is something that I care about a great deal, there is, you know, pay symmetry between various populations, you know, traditionally excluded populations of, you know, women and people of color tend to tend to earn less for the same job. Mm-hmm. And we can say that that's due to a lack of negotiation skill or behavior or prowess or whatever. And that may or may not be true, but it also is doesn't mean that it's fair. It, it's still unfair. No matter what the source of that is, it's still it's still deeply unfair. And when people find out about it, it can really send you know, the, the way tr- trust is very fragile, right? So like if, um, and, and so like you can, you can have a lot of trust mm-hmm. built up over a long period of time and then one small thing can erode it very, very quickly. And so, you know, for myself, I found out at one point because of Glassdoor that I was earning 40% less than somebody else doing a similar role to me. Mm-hmm. I managed to negotiate. I actually thought my manager was behaving in good faith. I didn't, you know, like I still actually have a good relationship with that person um, and, and still work for them occasionally. Uh, but at the same time, and, it, and I also had, you know, like when as soon as I approached them, <laughs> they were like, okay, yeah, we're going to have your, you know, I guess he knows now, right? And I guess we're going to have the yeah. salary. <laughs> and so, but it was, but it was really, but it was really shocking. And I think had I had a few other data points about that, or fortunately, that was for an organization that I really liked. And with people that I really liked and people that I respected and still respect. Um, but had it been for an organization that had a couple of strikes against them, that could have caused me to immediately quit and it could have been unrecoverable. And of course, sure. training a new person is more expensive than upping Absolutely. the salary for an old person. Mm-hmm. So Netflix, not to keep talking about Hastings, but Netflix had a policy for a while, I don't know if they still do, which was to proactively up people's salary to a marketly a market competitive rate without them asking, like to do regular reviews and to sort of make sure that people were being paid competitively. But, um, but a lot of organizations, and, and this is especially in America, I think, I don't know, in Europe, is it more common for people to talk about money? Um, no, yeah. I think this okay. is a worldwide thing. It's a worldwide thing, got it. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, like we're, we're sort of trained to, that it's, that it's, it's gossip, it's, how to put it, it's, yeah. it's like, I don't know how to I think people, like it. people talk more about politics and religion at work than about their salaries, right? Oh, I, I know, which is crazy. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it, yeah. And so, and it does, it, it's, it's, it basically it's just information asymmetry, right? Like, so if I go into something, if I go into a car dealership and I don't know what the manufacturing cost or the manufacturer suggests retail prices on a car or something like that, then I, you know, if the, the, the dealer has more information than I do. And so the internet has actually kind of like, reduce that information asymmetry because people go to Reddit and they figure things out and then they, they go in armed and so they can negotiate more effectively. And, but at work, like it's very hard to negotiate for a salary, especially because I think a lot of us, you know, myself included, sometimes we question our own value. Like we're humble or we're, or even worse, you know, at times, like we, 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 we lack confidence at times right. and we're waiting for somebody to tell us that we're valuable. And so, and then it's, it's like me negotiating against this giant company is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. They have all the information. I'm a dime a dozen. They can hire somebody else. And, uh, and so, but when we have the salary information, we, we, we at least have a little bit more power, you know, right. which is why I'm a big fan of unions as well, doing collective bargaining. I know there's problems with it at times, but like, mm-hmm. I think, I think workers, we need, we need to organize and we need people kind of speaking for us. So I'm, I'm letting my sort of socialist roots out here, I guess. But, well, yeah. there's also something to be said, like if you don't have to worry, let's say about, salaries right you can put all your energy into the work right it's like i don't have to self-promote myself 
within the company. I'm, I'm using the time at work for, you know, putting the best into the products and, and the teams uh, you're working yeah. with. But um, I think there's different kind of models out there, right? But one of the, the things is when you, let's say we have some someone listening to this uh, conversation here right now and says, this is all awesome, which I personally think is awesome. But um, what can I do about it? Like, what is, what's out there for me to do? Obviously, there's bobgawa.com, right? Uh, <laughs> what people can go to and, and start the process. But on the other side, there is, uh, there's a tool. Um, and uh, maybe give like a little brief connection to the tool, because we, we may not just want to talk about bad apples, let's say, we also want to say, hey, what are we going to do about it? How do we learn? How do, what can I do within my organization? Maybe as a little self-help first. Before- yeah before I uh, risk the big step right afterwards, right? And so let's just, let's, let's talk a little bit about the tool. Yeah, so I have a, um, I think by tool you mean my, the class that I teach, is that? Uh, yeah, or yeah, yeah, like just like in, in terms of, you know, questionnaires and things, how do you assess? Oh yeah, yeah. So like yeah. That. How do you, how do I find out that say, um, who falls into the category into the spectrum A and B and C and how do I determine if this, if there's a toxic behavior uh, within the team, like things like that. Yeah. So I have a diagnostic tool that I share. It's a, it's actually a workbook that I use in my class, um, mm-hmm. which is called leading great teams. I also provide it sometimes for free. I'll tell you what, I'll actually, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in your show notes here and people can grab it and use it. So it's a diagnostic tool that I developed. Actually, mm-hmm. there's enough context in the tool because there's an article that I wrote, I put, I used in the beginning. It's a, just an open Google doc that you can kind of make a, make a mm-hmm. copy of and use, yeah. but it gives you a series of questions to sort of just ask, you can either ask it to your team members or you can ask it um, to yourself about your team members. So, so you can use it one of, you know, either way. And it's almost just like a journaling exercise or sometimes I'll plug the questions into a tool like um, Easy Retro or Parable or we know one of these sort of like, you know, kind of like, or um, what is it? Mural and the and Miro and those kinds of things, right? So I'll plug it into that and then we'll, and, or, or just, or send out a survey. And it's just a way of figuring out like, where is the team aligned? Because what I found is that teams can kind of get misaligned in sort of a variety of places. Either they're lacking a sense of purpose, like a shared, like we're all working for the same sense of, of, of meaning and purpose and vision and values in the world. It can be around how those things now get applied into sort of strategic pillars, which is much more concrete. Like what are we actually doing in service of that purpose? Mm-hmm. And then the other is, our sort of operational framework, like how we are, um, how efficient we are at sharing information at doing the work at getting access to tools, all of the things that kind of like are internal inside the organization or the team. And then the final is the, is the culture. Like, how do we, do we trust each other? Are we able to disagree and commit meaningfully? Are we like the emotional landscape that I mentioned before? Mm-hmm. And so this tool is just a way that we can, um, that we can, that we can sort of analyze, analyze our teams. So I call that this is part of one of my principles, which is about essentially that you have, that you can't, you can't move too many steps ahead. The, the, the way I describe it in the principle is that the adjacent possible is your only move. Adjacent possible is a phrase from evolutionary biology, like that you can't, an organism can't evolve an eye overnight. It has to evolve like photosensitive cells first. And then, uh, you know, other structures have to come in and then the eye becomes possible. And the eye has evolved what three or four times in terms of sort of the biological evolution of the earth in different ways, you know, um, flies eyes being different from humans eyes being different from cats eye, you know, like all these different things, right? So, but the idea is that, is that we can't move to a big complex organizational change structure. And I know that you've, I think, you know, in your, um, you know, some of your frameworks, right? 
that we need to be a little more evolutionary in the way we think in your agile kata, right? That we need to be a little more evolutionary in the way we adopt processes rather than adopting all of them all at once that, you know, the way we might do in, you know, some frameworks that I'm not going to name here that I've been trained in and I'm not a fan of, right? That there's, that there's sometimes this idea of the big bang approach to change. Sometimes it's necessary, but usually it's just destructive. And, and right. I don't think it, I don't think it's valuable that we need to be much more evolutionary, evolutionary. So this tool is designed to at least begin to give us some context, some context about where we are so we can then begin to determine about where we're going to go. And so I use it as a diagnostic tool when I begin to work with organizations and um, just trying to get a sense of where we are now so we know what, what, what's possible. Oh, this is awesome, uh, Bob. Just in case listeners want to find you, they don't know how to uh, spell your last name. That is Bob, G-O-W-E-R.com. So people can find you. They can also find you uh, via your two books, Agile Business and Radical Alignment. Uh, that's also another way of finding you. Um, we will uh, put a link in into the show notes, as you said, to uh, find access to the tool. And uh, I'm going to invite all of the listeners right now to go on towards your LinkedIn page and give you a thumbs up and encouraging words to write a third book, you know? So maybe maybe the group can uh, put some words out there and convinces you to write another book. I know what it means to, uh, to publish a book, lots of work, but you know what? Thank you for sharing all your great ideas. There's obviously many, many more principles out there. We only had time for one. Uh, one and a half one and a half we gotta yeah. got to and we and very cursory um, yes. <laughs> so we go much deeper we, we go much deeper and i do also do want to just plug my my classes where so i do a lot of consulting work i always remain an independent consultant i don't work as part mm -hmm. of organizations anymore um it's just it's just not me i've done it enough and so i, I remain independent but what the thing i do try to big get big groups together for is for this class it's a much lower price point than having to like hire me as a consultant Right. And you'll and and the I and and if you do join my class, I also have a community that you end up joining. And so anybody who's ever taken the class is part of the same sort of. We do office hours once a month. We do, um, and we also do uh, you know kind of regular you know regular meetups and those kinds of things as well. So please go check. You can find it on my website bobgower.com. Yeah. Go check out the class. Um, depending upon when you're listening to this, I do have a cohort starting in September, late September, 2022. Um, but I do it about three or four times a year. So please uh, please do come to that. Yeah. Awesome. Interested. Absolutely. Bob, thank cool. you so much. All right. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.